0: The following is a podcast brought to you by the faith community at The Torch, Clock Tower Plaza, Morgantown, Pennsylvania, and Pastor Brett Swales. It's dedicated to continuing the work of Jesus peaceably, simply, together. The love of Jesus filling every heart. Welcome to the Walk in Jesus podcast, where we discuss practical, actionable steps for walking with Jesus in a Christian life without confusion, hassle, or stress. I'm your host, Pastor Brett Swales. So let's get moving. The Law or Grace? With input by Philip Yancey and Richard John Newhouse. I want to ask you to consider this title, The Law or Grace? Think about the world you would like to inhabit. Would you prefer to live in a world... Determined by absolute laws, that you must obey. Now let me ask you, how about living in a world shaped by grace? I've contemplated this since my childhood, and there was a stark reason for that circumstance. You see, I felt the law and grace of God as a child. You see, I was educated Catholic from kindergarten to the ninth grade. We believe the Ten Commandments as the law, our law. Same for catechism. Salvation was only by faith and good works. Deviation was mortal sin and damnation, and that from these deviations came discipline. Always made a doubt here on earth, it seemed, by the good sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary at St. Matthew's School in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Sister Mary Donald, my poor, long-suffering fifth-grade teacher, an 80-year-old nun, had been so traumatized by my ADHD that she mentioned me by name to my soon-to-be sixth-grade teacher. That would be Sister Mary Austin, Immaculate Heart of Mary. Sister of the second part was known to my upperclassmen by another name, the Fuhrer of discipline they knew her well for Sister Mary Donald to mark me thus was to send me across the Catholic version of the river of no return for it happened that now lying in wait for me in the 6th grade was Sister Austin a big and powerfully built woman who swung a wooden paddle like Babe Ruth swatted fastballs she was greatly feared by all mainly by me I didn't yet know her, and yet she had cornered me one day in the stairwell, and while holding me tightly by the shirt sleeve, had told me sternly, I have heard about you, Mr. Swale, she growled. I was terrified. Soon thereafter, I graduated to the sixth grade and became her student, and it wasn't long until I was brought up on charges of violating one of the commandments. I now forget the offense. I was marched to the front of the class to assume the position dreaded by all. She went into her cloak closet, bringing back a weapon of humbling vengeance, a stack of yardsticks bound with metal brackets at both ends. Face the class, hands on knees, Mr. Swales, she growled. She repositioned her flowing habit for this task at hand, which was no small effort her five-decade rosary and the gigantic crucifix were all repositioned in various hiding places in her habit and she even freed her armholes of all nun-like impairments slowly but smoothly she pulled back her pile of lumber set her feet apart and took an audible and giant breath I squeezed my buttocks as tightly as the valve on a steamship's whistle. As I heard the shriek of the incoming blow, I braced ever harder. The yardstick struck home with an enormous crack. And yet, shock of shocks, and plainly here I state, no pain did I feel. Nothing. The wood shattered in all directions with hundreds of pieces hitting my snark-filled classmates, "'and then otherwise clattering noisily "'across the bare old wooden floor. "'Sister stood still, her face a mask. "'Get out!' she screamed at us all. "'On the way out, I looked back at her. "'She had a blank and broken expression on her face "'as she looked straight ahead, "'both shoulders slumped forward, "'with many short shards of broken wood in her hand "'hanging loosely, now pointing at the ground.' I actually wondered why she hadn't stabbed me. Later, when Sister learned of my violent home situation from the other nuns at the convent, she simply told me, "'You have had enough beatings.' She never raised her hand to me again, and with but a word she could put me in my place. Sister and I were to have many genuine heart-to-heart conversations of a more pleasant nature, and my friends could not believe that I would later seek her out personally and in public for her advice over the next two years. She became my friend. I had seriously and sincerely experienced God's law and His grace. I shall never forget her. She made a far greater impression on my heart than ever she did or could upon my buttocks. As I think about her now, however, we should probably remember a devotional I gave previously as I spoke about a sermon of offense. Remember how Jesus said we should follow all of the law and be more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law so as to see the kingdom of heaven? I spoke about mankind's love of religious ritual, laws, liturgy, Religious Heritage and Tradition. In the intervening time since then, I have thought a great deal more about the differences between the old covenant of the law and the new covenant of grace. Therefore, I read to you the following passage from Hebrews. I wondered why it was written in the future tense. I found out in that time of its particular writing, that it was actually freshly fulfilled prophecy and was first found hundreds of years before in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. But let's reference Hebrews right now. Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What great news this is. We now live in the time of the new covenant under the promise of grace. Now, no longer do we find ourselves falsely laboring to satisfy an unyielding law. I might here add that Jesus did not come to bring us laws and more laws. He came to bring us life and life more abundant through his grace. Hallelujah! In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey talks about a drug addicted prostitute in Chicago, who told a harrowing story of her life. At last she asked she was asked if she had ever thought of going to the church for help. Church, she cried, why would I ever go there? They would just make me feel even worse than I already do about myself. What we want to know today is where are the followers of Jesus from the first century? Where are the needy, the sinners? Who would they be? Who could probably recognize them pretty quickly in today's church views? There would be prostitutes, smokers, drinkers of various types, and an abundance of drug users, the homeless and smelly the hungry, and perhaps a few youthful and heavily tattooed gang members. Today, however, I would be truly shocked to find even a crushed cigarette butt in many church parking lots, or even outside the doors of the churches. Much less the possibility of a homeless camp on church property, or even an empty liquor bottle, or, God forbid, a used needle. The church of today has become a model of propriety, the haven of the reasonable and respectable, the home of the Christian country club. In Christ's time, though, he was associated with all of the undesirables, the poor in spirit, and that earned him the ever-present scorn of the Pharisees. The early church soon came to be known for taking in outcasts and the poor in suffering, Yancy says, for the first few centuries, the church literally did what Christ commanded, receive strangers, clothe the naked, and feed the hungry, visiting those who were in prison. According to church historians, this good work continued right up until the triumph of Constantine, who subsequently legalized the faith and established the official Imperial Church, over time the church became the wealthy establishment. The middle class, the church of today, bears little resemblance to the social rejects described in the Gospels and the Book of Acts, so says Yancey. If you ever listen to the words of the Gospel as it is preached in the third world, you will find it is very different than the one heard hereabouts. Somebody wrote, The poor and the unlearned cannot identify the origin of what it is that Jesus is saying when he quotes from Isaiah 61.1, saying, He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners. This quote is not very often immediately recognized as a quotation from the book of Isaiah, but the poor still applaud And here it is good news indeed. Regardless how their own world treats them, the poor and the sick have assurance that because of Jesus, God knows no undesirables. What about the unwanted here and now? How should we in the first world let them know that they are welcomed? What should we do with today's undesirables in the church? I'm going to conclude with a story about a woman named Kitty. Kitty was a very unhappy senior resident in a nursing facility. She was in her ninth decade of life. She positioned herself at the junction of the main hallways. She had a unique and renowned talent for disparaging the institution's food, as well as the obvious shortcomings of everyone who happened to pass her by. Her talent was in making people cry. She became one of the undesirables, and people avoided her at all costs. One day a woman and her children appeared, and Kitty singled them out. The woman's dress was not long enough for her standards, and the just-concluded lunch had been terrible, and those children of hers were just out of control. The young mother quickly exited exactly as Kitty had seemed to plan. The next week, however, the same young woman was back without her kids. Soon, she was observed pulling up a chair to sit with Kitty. Sometime thereafter, they were talking about Kitty's life, her happier times, and even laughing together. Nobody had ever seen the like the young mother had said i started talking by asking kitty about her life and her happier times i came back to talk to her because i felt jesus would want me to do that i made a choice she came back many times and kitty was a changed person afterwards and her desire to make people cry diminished Some time passed, and after this, Kitty died. Won't you turn to a neighbor and show them the mercy of Jesus in your heart this week? Is this not how we as individuals, being filled with the Holy Spirit, show the law now written on our hearts, as well as the Holy Spirit-filled Christ, to the undesirables in our midst? Is this not how we as a church, being filled with the Holy Spirit, should show mercy and grace, one to the other. In conclusion, please think about this message. Consider it. Email me. Let me know how you feel. Let us pray. Lord, show us how to receive strangers in our midst, to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and to visit those in the prisons of various types and contexts today, right here in America, and throughout the world. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Faith Community at The Torch, Clock Tower Plaza, Morgantown, Pennsylvania, and me, Pastor Brett Swales. And it's dedicated to continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, simply, together. The love of Jesus filling every heart. Good day.